Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm so glad you're here with us this week. I have a fantastic interview lined up with Dr. Jeff Shirk, and Jeff is a good friend of mine, someone who I really respect and who always has interesting and useful things to say whenever I have a conversation with him. So I'm glad that we were able to get this recorded and share it with you guys. We're in that kind of quiet time of year here. It's late May, it's early June, at least in our office, things have slowed down a little bit. So it's a good time if you've got any outstanding projects or things you're working on to try to get those done and get ready before the summer rush. I want to thank you again for sharing this podcast with your friends. Each week, we continue to get more and more people tuning in and listening, and our audience continues to grow. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, spreading the word. I've got a thought of the week to share with you guys, and then we'll get right into the interview. Let's do it. For today's thought of the week, I want to talk about 10 ways to increase your lifespan. And not to sound morbid, but I've been thinking a lot recently about where I am in my life, how much of my life is behind me, and how much of my life is ahead of me, and I'm not in any sort of panic mode here, but it's been interesting to think about all the goals and things that I want to do in my life and trying to figure out how to make that all happen and fit it all in. So I wrote down a list here of 10 ways that I can increase my lifespan. These aren't necessarily things to make me live longer, although some of them, I guess, are. But it's more, how can I have more time to do the things that are important to me? And how can I enjoy the time that I have more and make it more meaningful and uh, get the experience that I want out of life? So let's jump right in here. 10 ways to increase your lifespan. Number one is to outsource or delegate. Anything that doesn't require you to do that's taking up your time, I would look around and see, can you outsource that to us, delegate that to a staff member, I suppose, or outsource it to someone else? As orthodontists, we're in the fortunate position of having pretty good financial resources. So there's often someone we can pay to do something that we don't enjoy or that takes up a lot of our time. So that's number one. Number two is to remove any clutter from your life. And I guess what I mean by this are commitments, obligations, people, things that are in our life that we haven't really agreed to, but maybe that have crept in. Maybe we're on a board that we don't want to be a part of anymore. We're a member of an organization that's taken up a lot of our time. Maybe there's someone who's negative and who really drags us down. What are the things that we kind of have led into our lives without a lot of thought that we could reevaluate and take back that time and use it towards something more productive? Number three is to take care of our body. Obviously, we've got to exercise. We've got to eat healthy. Those things go without saying. And those maybe will make us live longer in terms of years, but I think it'll also give us the energy that we need to accomplish what we want to in the present. The fourth thing is to get the right amount of sleep. Sleep, I think, is interesting because at times we have to sacrifice it to get what we want. If we're in the middle of a project or if it's final exams or whatever the case may be, sometimes we forego sleep in order to accomplish what we want to and to reach our goals. But other times we need sleep, we need to recharge, we need to rejuvenate, we need it so that we can have the energy throughout the day to do what we need to and to be there for our patients and our families. So I think being mindful about the amount of sleep that we get and evaluating that closely is important. Number five is to be present, to be a single tasker, not a multitasker. Maybe you're listening to this podcast while you're driving or working out and I'll give you a 
thumbs up. That's an approved multitasking activity. But I would say multitasking, for the most part, is the bane of our 21st century existence. We're constantly distracted by our phones, by what's on the news, and it's really hard sometimes to be present with what we're doing, whether that's enjoying a meal, whether that's spending time with our family, whether that's being outdoors. I think the more we can do to be present in the moment and to really look around us and enjoy that, it'll help us feel like we're really truly living. Number six is very similar, is to not dwell on regrets. I think a lot of us have things in our past that we have some issues with, that we're struggling with, but I think we have to be careful that we're not spending so much of our time there that we can't enjoy the present. And if you have things in your past that you're really struggling with, last week's episode with my good friend Anil, uh, you know, you can see a therapist. There are things you can do to to kind of work through those issues so you can really be present in, in what you're doing today. Number seven is to force yourself to step outside your comfort zone. If you only live your life in a very small bubble, you're only going to have a small set of experiences. So I think you need to get out there and try new foods, sign up for dancing lessons, uh, do whatever it is that you need to do to have new experience that sometimes things that we don't think we're going to enjoy, we really do enjoy. And that adds richness and variety to our lives and we get to interact with more people. And that's really number eight for me is to meet more people and to connect with them. That's one thing that's great about being an orthodontist is that every day we have new people coming in the door. We get to talk with them. We get to connect with them. We get to hear their experiences. We get to understand what they're going through in their lives. And all of that adds fullness to our lives in a way that I think is really valuable. Number nine, if you want to increase your lifespan, one great shortcut is to read books, especially biographies. You can get a whole summary of someone's life in a few short sittings of sitting down and reading a book. And I benefit tremendously from hearing the experiences that other people have gone through. What are the thoughts that they had as they faced a difficult challenge in their life? Who are, who are their role models and how did they learn? And what are the things that they did to discipline themselves or to achieve a goal? Uh, a whole life can be distilled into a book and you can gain the benefit of that and almost live vicariously through the reading of a book. And 10th, number 10, and one of my favorite things in the world to do is to travel. If you want to increase your lifespan, if you want to pack more into your life, get out of wherever you are. Go to other countries, experience other languages, other cultures. You're going to meet people. You're going to have experiences. You're going to see things that you could never see. And if you go and you can live for a week in another country, it's not a whole lifetime there, but it gives you a sense of what people in that country or culture are going through and how they're living. And I think that that packs more uh, into your life and gives you a more full experience. Hopefully one or two of these things rang true for you and you can use them to enrich or improve your life in some way. Uh, I'll close with this, one of my favorite quotes from Hunter S. Thompson, who said, Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, Wow, what a ride. Dr. Jeff Shirk attended The Ohio State University, where he completed an undergraduate degree in biology, a doctor of dental surgery, a specialty training in orthodontics, and master of science degree. He's the owner of four orthodontic practices in the Columbus, Ohio area, and was a speaker at the MKS Forum in November 2016 in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Shirk is married with three kids. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. Shirk. Lance, I'm so happy to be here. I've been really excited for it. 
Great, great. We're excited to have you. Uh, is Columbus already gearing up for uh, football season now that March Madness is over? Football season pretty much never ends um, in Columbus, Ohio. It's funny because the, the local sports radio station, like all year round, has a radio program in the afternoon called The Buckeye Show. And you'd think there would be something to do with basketball as well, but it's, it's mostly just football. Yeah, I, I believe it. Especially this year. We were horrible in basketball, so there right, wasn't much right. to talk about. It was mostly what's, just what's the forecast for football recruiting. for the fall? Are they getting excited? Oh, yeah. The recruiting class is always good under Urban Meyer. So um, I think everybody it, – it's kind of tough, though, because he's uh, excelled so much that everybody expects an undefeated national championship season. So anything under that, uh, people think it's a huge disappointment, which is it's too bad because it, yeah. it's been an amazing string of success, actually. Yeah, we have the same issue at Carolina. I mean, Coach Williams still gets criticized for whatever, even though he just won his third national title. And you can't make those fans happy sometimes. But um, great. So I guess we'll start with this. After leaving the hallowed halls of The Ohio State University, uh, give us kind of a summary of how you've arrived at the place you are today. Okay, sure. Um, okay, so I finished dental school in 2006. And that was a time where, you know, the faculty used to talk about, oh, you guys are so lucky because the last 10 years has been the the golden age of dentistry and the next 10 years are going to be the platinum age of dentistry because the economy was just, you know, booming and, you know, people were doing full mouth rehabs and, you know, orthodontics, everybody was getting braces and it just seemed amazing. And then I started residency and then finished up in 2009 March of 2009, and at the end of 2008 is when you know the the stock market crashed, the economy pretty much collapsed, and uh, so I was all like, "Oh my God, this is about the worst time to come out." Um, any orthodontist that was thinking of retiring at the time decided not to retire and, and to keep on working. And I'm from Columbus. My wife is from Cleveland, so we wanted to stay in this area, and we wanted to start a family. So we didn't really want to necessarily move to where the open jobs were. The the closest associateship I could originally find was like an hour and a half away and there were no practices to purchase. So uh, we decided, well, we want to be here, so let's start up. I was lucky that my wife had a, a good job with Limited Brands, which is, um, they own Victoria's Secrets and Bath and Body Works and a number of the stores at the, uh, at the malls and stuff. So she had a good job there. So she was able to support us, um, and then I started up. So literally the last three months of residency, I was planning the startup and, and doing all that. And so I finished the end of March, and I think I was open for business like April 6th or something like that um, of that year. So it was it was kind of crazy. Um, it was a really – well, looking back on it, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have started straight up because you don't really know what – what you don't know. And, um, and so you're asking faculty members their opinions, um, but their, their treatment philosophy is probably going to be different than how you end up doing yours. You know, what their idea of a, of a busy practice is probably a little bit different than, than what yours is and, and how it's laid out. If you need a records room, don't need a records room and all sorts of important decisions that are expensive decisions when you're talking about a layout in a, of an office or the inventory you're going to pick and, all that kind of stuff, because it's one thing to have some good cases with faculty, but it's another to really be on your own treating cases and, and knowing exactly what you want. And, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat painful to, to switch different systems. So, sure. um, but either way, it is what it is. You know, I, uh, 
I always joke, um, my sixth month in office. Um, so I was open for six months and I, I didn't understand at the time that orthodontics got like really good in the summer and not so good in the, the spring and, and in the fall, uh, as far as like production numbers, cause of kids being in school, I just assumed it was always somewhat consistent. So that summer of 2009, things had been steadily improving and I thought, Oh my God, I made it. And September of 2009, so I was open six months at this time, I had one phase one start for a total production of the month for $1,200. It was an for elective. September. Oh, for September. It was an elective yeah. upper two by four of a girl just didn't like spaces in her teeth. And, and it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, that was the, the month my oldest son was born. So it was, <laughs> uh, I was stressed with that. So I didn't really think too much about the fact that, uh, there, there wasn't much production, but I mean, it's, it's grown so much since then. And, and on the flip side though, I did have lots of time to really spend, uh, working on the practice and, and trying to improve the systems in it. But you know, anybody, did, did you have an associateship up, or anything on the side? Yeah, I did. I worked two days a week, uh, for Dr. Jim Homan, who is an, was an amazing mentor for me. Um, he would come in on days off and, you know, show me all the different exams he had that week. It just kind of rapid fire, you know, asked me questions about treatment planning. And, and so it was, it was like a fellowship after residency. Um, truly. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good situation to have someone yeah. so invested in your success. Mm-hmm. So it, it ended up working out really, really well. And so I worked for him two days a week and then my own office two days a week. Um, I did that for four years actually. Okay. So uh, here's a question I have. A lot of people are associates or, you know, you might even be in a situation now of trying to hire an associate. What do you, what do you think if you're thinking about going in and, and working for someone as an associate, what do you think you should at the end of that take away? Yeah, I, I think, and one thing I definitely learned from, from Jim um, during our, our meetings initially where it has to be beneficial for both parties. And so, neither party should really feel used in a negotiation and you know you should never feel like you're being underpaid and on the flip side the owner should never feel like they're vastly overpaying you or you don't have to get exactly what you're asking for but you have to feel like you're being treated fairly and so you know when we negotiated everything it was just you know he asked me all I'm asking is just please be honest. If you think something's unfair, then it, don't lie to yourself to, or to me to make it work, and I'll, I'll promise to do the same thing. And I think because of that, we, we really had a, a really great relationship. And so then when it came, once I started working for him, I think both parties really were interested in, you know, maximizing our, our relationship. So he, you know, he was there to, to help me. And on, on the flip side, I think, he wanted me to be a happy employee and to be um, a knowledgeable doctor and, you know, because that's better for his practice too. So I think from a, from an associate's perspective, I tried to learn absolutely anything I, I could because a private practice setting is just so different than being a resident. And so, um, and also, you know, when I was, when I first started working for him, I was essentially like a debonded dentist, I called it, uh, where I just removed all his braces and, and I actually had to do a lot of the, the debond workups. Like he, he would always do a case analysis and, and I learned so much from that. Um, you know, there's so much to be said for, 
removing braces and seeing what worked and, you know, maybe a tweak here or there. Um, and it, it was just an awesome experience. And so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some things that you can only learn by like volume of cases. And if you're in a startup situation where you're seeing one phase one case a month, it's hard to get the reps in that you need. I mean, I always think that's one thing that's really great about an associateship is that you can jump hopefully into a busy situation and you just see a lot of teeth. Right, right. And there, there's a role, I guess, for you know corporate dentistry where it does offer jobs and, and income and stuff like that. But I think one, I've never worked for a corporate company, but one um, negative I've heard from friends is there's really not any aspect of mentorship. And I, I think that's really important for an unseasoned doctor. I, you know, looking back on it, the, the biggest thing about the associateship, I could have made more money working for, uh, you know, some, some kind of corporation, but I really would have missed out on a lot. That would, that would have been worth a lot. That was worth a lot more than any additional pay I could have gotten. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, I think volume is important, but also having like volume with guidance is also important as well. Cause there's a lot of tips and, and tricks that you, you learn after you do so many cases. And although I will say now that there are groups like, you know, Derek's pragmatic and, and such, um, that aspect is, is a little bit different. Cause you know, if you're, you know, people are constantly posting, pearls and if you have any questions you can post pictures and get 100 different orthodontist feedback um yeah. the digital age is really changing that aspect of it but um sure. to, to your original que- question about you know what what do you gain from the associateship experience it's funny because now that i'm bringing in an associate i'm looking at it from the opposite perspective of of being the owner and it's stressful you know it's 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 like really really stressful to me because you know, your practice is your baby and you've, especially if you've started it from scratch, uh, like I have that, I don't know, like it's, it's such a part of you and it's hard mentally to think that like another doctor is going to come in and, and do things. And, um, but I'm, I'm excited for the challenge, but it's definitely stressful, um, because I want it to go so well and I want to provide the same experience that I had as an associate. And so I'm really looking forward and to being the mentor and, and trying to be there to, to really help grow somebody. Yeah. So let's, let's circle back a little bit. I'm curious how you got from, you know, one patient a month in the startup practice in 2009 to today with four offices and hiring an now an associate. How did that transition happen or what, you know, what's the path that kind of led you to where you are today? Okay, so how it really was, was the area I picked was a, a growing community. It was the fastest growing community in Columbus at the time in 2008. But then, of course, the stock market kind of tumbled. And there were all these neighborhoods that were being built that had streets that had like maybe one house. And then the new neighborhoods that had been built, really, uh, like half of them went into foreclosure, half the, the entire neighborhood. It was, it was insane. And so I went out there and... You know, people were, were having a hard time just keeping electricity. So there was, they weren't going to be doing orthodontics. And so, you know, I grew it to the point where I had work for two days a week, but I knew my associateship was only going to be for a few years and I wanted to get something else lined up. And so 
there's another community that's about 15, 16 minutes away from, from my first office that I was just driving by and this building came available and I thought, well, it's right across the street from a school. Seems great. I'll do it. And so I still was an associate two days a week. And then I opened up the second office and it still had mine. So for a f- couple years, I was working six days a week, which that was kind of t- tiring. Six days a week. Um, but I did realize that most people didn't want to come in on Saturdays. They said they did. And our no-show rate was like terrible uh, hmm. on Saturdays. But so I had those two offices. Then I was really content. Two offices was fine. That's that's kind of all I really envisioned myself doing. And then at that point, my wife started working for the practice uh, the second time, <laughs> which we can go into. The first time it failed because of me, um, and then the second time it's it's worked. Um, but uh, when she came into the practice, you know, her background was, like I said before, was at Limited Brands and working with a real business. So she, her, her last job there, she was working with VSX and helping that grow from a test store in Columbus to inputting it all around the country. So then she comes into the ortho office and she gets two offices going and then it's kind of like, all right, well, what's next? So she really did um, some analysis from our software and just looked at where our patients were coming from. So I know a lot of people who have multiple offices try to put their offices far away from each other because they're really worried about any overlap. But that's pretty much the exact opposite of what her plan was, where she wanted a little bit of overlap so that we would open an office where our marketing dollars were already hitting because we were already getting some of the patients from there. And so when this office came open, even though the timing was terrible because she was pregnant with our uh, third baby at the time. And so it was crazy, though, because I remember we looked at it on a uh, on a Sunday. We made an offer on a Monday. They accepted on Tuesday, and then she delivered on Friday. <laughs> oh, so it was like, it was just kind of nuts. And um, But, you know, when an opportunity is there, you take it, I guess. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so we added that third office really just because we were getting all these patients from there and it just seemed like a good opportunity, not necessarily that it was something that we needed to do. And then last summer, I approached an orthodontist who, just kind of throwing it out there, who's, who's my dad's age? I just had a lunch with him and uh, with this orthodontist and I just said, hey, you know, we're marketing in this area and if you're ever thinking you want to sell a practice, definitely let me know. It would save you from having to try to find a buyer. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it someday. And then like six months later, he was on board with, hey, I, I think I'm ready to retire. And so that uh, then just happened. So that was December um, where we finalized all the paperwork. And then so I took over this past January. That's how we got the story of the four offices. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like it's been quite a journey. Um, you mentioned, you know, uh, Jenny, your wife's role in the office. I actually uh, spent a great day skiing with uh, her and Mike Agenter and my brother in Vail last year. And I just learned a ton talking with her and Mike on the lifts. Uh, tell us a little bit about what she does in the office and the advantages of having a, a non-dentist kind of in this executive role in an orthodontic practice. Oh, sure. When we had our our oldest son, 
uh, when he was like a year and a half or two, the practice was starting to to grow and um, and get better. And so we thought, okay, well, let's have you work in the office. That seems like a good idea. And so then she came into the office, and she has like at the time zero dental or ortho background. She just has a business background and um, her experience at Limited Brand. So she'd come in and she'd say why are you doing this this way? And I'd say, oh, because this consultant said, you know, we should do it this way. And she's like, why are you doing it this way? And Oh, because this consultant said to do it this way. And um, not consultants that I'd hired, just reading articles and going to lectures and stuff like that. And so I was like resistant to, to change. Um, and so she would have these you know, suggestions and, and I was constantly saying no and no and no and no. And so then she's like, well, this isn't very fun. I, you know, if I, I can't really implement any ideas, I can't really do anything, you just keep saying no to everything, I'm going to go back to Limited Brands. So she left on really great terms, went back to Limited Brands, and then after we had our uh, second kid, Jordan, and she again said, hey, this is getting crazy, let's try this again. And I remember we had this talk where she was basically like, you know, the better the practice does, the better we both do. So why would I ever do anything that would try to harm the practice? Everything I'll do is to try to help the practice. And so it was kind of this moment of epiphany, like, you know what? Absolutely. Take it over. And so from (laughs) from that moment on, I, I really haven't run the practice. And that was like three years ago at this point. And so that's really been her big strong suit. She came in and started actually organizing our practice like a business. And it's been wonderful. And, you know, Jenya has set up a management staff. So we have a clinic director and we have a front office administrator who is like a front office manager as well. And so I deal a little bit, I guess, with the clinic director when we talk about clinical staff members. But for the very most part, I'm a cheerleader. I only say positive things to people. And if there's ever difficult conversations... It's never me having to do it. It's the clinical director, it's the front office administrator, it's Jenya, really. And, and even Jenya tries to not do that. We've definitely found that when you have uh, at least our, our management staff you know, dealing with any issue, it, it just comes out better than if we do. Maybe there's uh, too much emotion in it when either her or I do it. But So what would you say, you know, an orthodontist who doesn't have a wife who's willing or able or with the skills, what do you think you've learned, though, about running an orthodontic practice through through this experience of of bringing someone from the outside into your practice? Yeah, so what I think is so interesting is so many orthodontists, dentists, um, doctors, whoever, who have a small business, they, they put their most trusted employee in the position of running the practice. And like, oh, well, you know, she's been with me for 20 years. She just knows it all, so, so she's going to run the practice. But that's actually not a really good idea. That's what I've learned, that trust is, is important, but if you're going to try to grow your practice into an actual business, you need an actual <laughs> business person. You know, and that really comes from business experience and hopefully outside of the dental industry. So... If I didn't have her and I knew what I know now, I would definitely pay what it takes to recruit uh, a, a real business person. And that probably is, is going to come with a really expensive salary, but they're worth every penny as far as production growth, 
you know, marketing strategies, consistent marketing implementation, you know, overhead management. So while she's growing revenue, she's cutting costs at the same time and also making me question a lot of different decisions as well. Because at the end of the day, you or I, we're spending our day in the clinic. And so the running of the practice, we, we do it on the side. We do it in the evenings or on the weekends or something like that. And to run a successful practice, I'm convinced you really need uh, a full-time staff member to really do that when it comes to operations, marketing, um, clinical aspects of it. We have a, a really good training program. Our clinic director, Kayla, she really trains people. We have timelines. We have quizzes at the end of the week. And so the first 90 days are somewhat intense. They have to have different benchmarks that they hit. So just going back to dental school, I tried to design it similar to how we did it with clinical competencies. So people have to show their competencies at tying in, untying photographs and you know, be checked off by, you know, the clinic director and have to do it with a, another staff member before they can do it on their own. And, and they have to be able to demonstrate all this to be able to do on their own at the end of 90 days. Tell me a little bit about what your philosophy is for creating an amazing team, hiring people that, that share your values, getting them on board with your vision. What do you guys try to do in that arena? So I think it's something that I realize it's easier to train the untrained than to untrain the trained. And so, you know, everybody's always talking about, oh, hire for personality. But I actually don't think that many people do. I think people are in a squeeze and they're busy and they just need to hire somebody who already knows how to tie and untie and get things going. And so they're somewhat reactive in their hiring instead of proactive. And we've had our moments of that. But lately, we've definitely tried to be proactive. What I mean by that is um, be overstaffed. And so right now, we're a little overstaffed, and that's actually been a, a really good thing for us because we've been able to pick exactly the people we want with the personality traits that, that we want them to have and, and people who can really buy into you know, what we're trying to do. So when it comes to you know, finding the people who have the right fit, they come in and um, they, they do meet all the staff. They, when they get interviewed, they spend a day with the staff. And if the staff cumulatively says no, then it's a, it's a veto. Even if I really liked them or, or if, um, Jenny really liked them or something like that. So we tried really hard to find people who really fit. And something that, uh, I should say I learned from, from David Butler was trying to develop team agreements. And so getting your staff to agree to be teammates essentially is, is what it is. So you're, they're understanding that they're all in it together. You know, David is just a really Zen guy <laughs> and you've spent plenty of time around oh, him yeah. too. You know, he, and that just suits him really, really well. You know, he, when I was explaining a certain struggle that we were having during a growth, he was like, you're too locked in the, leader follower model. You need to develop a leader leader model. And so he talked about reading the the book Turn the Ship Around, which was great. And so I read it and really kind of opened my eyes to what what we were doing wrong in the sense that as orthodontists or I think a lot of people who are successful, we are self-reliant and very it's very difficult to learn to delegate and to trust. And so it's really trying to 
develop the leader within people. And so I used to really not like morning meetings. I thought they weren't really useful for most things. And I'm, I was definitely wrong. I really look forward to morning meetings now because it really sets the tone for the day. You know, if there's anybody who comes to work with baggage, you can eliminate that like right from the beginning rather than just someone coming. And then if you're seeing patients at 815, everybody shows up at 805 or something and you're not having a morning meeting and everybody's ready to go and, and, um, someone's just had a terrible day or, or whatever. Uh, you know, that's not really a good, a good position to be because you're, you're ready and set to go. Right. So I, I think that having the morning meeting has been really helpful. So you you, be, you get to lay out your day, which is good, but you also can just address problems before they happen. And and so we always end the day with like uh, an uplifting quote, which may sound cheesy, but I really like it. And so we, you know, Kayla, our clinic director, always always picks it, and then we have kind of a small discussion on on. Um, what the quote would mean and how it applies to our practice. So, yeah, I've, I've done the quote. Uh, the problem was, is I was coming up with them. So after a while I ran out of steam on, I, I have to delegate that again. It sounds cheesy, but it's good. And my staff looked forward to it. And then I kind of got out of the habit of it. So I'm going to put that back on my list here. So, you know, you've got all these offices going, you got, you know, four offices, all these, you know, staff and, and balls kind of in the air here. I'm sure there must've been times where you, kind of ran into problems or, you know, tried something and it failed. And I guess my question is, how do you deal with, with failure? Like what, how should people think about taking a chance on something where you don't really know what the outcome is going to be? Yeah, uh, I could talk about right now. Um, it's not a failure, but it's certainly stressful. Um, right now, I, I didn't know whether it it would be good to hire an associate before I needed one or buy this practice to then need an associate. I didn't know. So I decided to buy the practice and then I thought the associate thing would work out. But it's been really stressful running four offices. Not so much because the volume of patients. It's it's like the logistics of it. Like I've loved using Neolab, for example. Um, we're to- totally impressionless, as you know, and, and, you know, have the in-office printers, and that's been awesome. Our retainers fit great, and I've loved it. But, you know, dealing with Neolab, they're an awesome lab, but there's like the eight-day, eight-workday turnaround time, which that can be difficult. If I had one location, it wouldn't matter at all to me. But the fact that I have four, there's some weeks where I'm in one location on Monday and not there till the next Friday, and so, you know, when you're trying to organize these appliances coming in, that's made it really stressful. And so while I feel like we've succeeded in going impressionless, and I think it's great, I, I kind of look at it as like a failure of, of logistics because it's been really difficult to figure out how to make people happy and, and accommodate their schedule. And so, you know, that's one aspect of failure. So how do we deal with it? Trying to figure out ways to get an in-house lab tech and and just spend the extra money on it because logistically it'll help us. You know, right. other failures, expensive failures. I bought True Dentist System because I'm interested in TMD. Um, I, I, I like learning about that. I thought it would be a good additional aspect to my practice and I just couldn't get it to, to work. You know, it's an expensive system. It works. I, I think True Dentist is great therapy. However, for my practice setup where... 
it's just me with now four locations. You know, Truden is a system where you really need to see people back every week. And so with our New Albany office, which is where the Truden system is at, we're only there once a week for most weeks. And so, you know, you have to rely that somebody is available that Monday of next week and then that Thursday the following week and then that Wednesday. And so again, logistically, you know, having these different offices, I think you really can't expand your scope into something like Trudena, even though I really like Trudena, because it's it's really difficult to manage so many different locations. And other orthodontists I know that have tried it have also not been very successful with it. So right. But what I'm hearing from you though is that you you have this willingness to to jump into something and to try it. You know, I think there's part of us that wants to kind of analyze a situation until we really fully understand everything. And then sometimes you just have to go for it. And I tell this to my staff too. I, I say, this is happening. We're doing this in two weeks. And they all kind of give me this look. And I say, yep, we're going we're gonna to crash land it just like the last project. And sometimes you just have to get yourself into the situation and it works out or it doesn't, but you kind of figure out as you, as you get into it. But you have to be willing to kind of take that risk. Oh, yeah. So I think for better or worse, both my wife and I are, at least when it comes to business, seem to be more of a, a ready, fire, aim kind of people um, because we just make decisions and we're going to figure out a way to, to make it happen. Um, I think Jenya's opinion is if you don't take that first step, then you're never going to take any steps. And so um, when I decided that we were going impressionless, it was kind of like, all right. And I had a meeting with my my team. And I was like, all right, January 1st, we're going impressionless, which, oh my gosh, that was like not great timing because we're taking over this fourth office. It was just too much stuff. But in my mind, it just made sense that now's the time. And so we bought the printers, we bought the scanners, and and we're just going to figure it out. And, and you struggle through it, but you learn so much from it. So um, I'm always willing to try to to do more things if I think it's going to make us better. And that's that's probably something that most orthodontists struggle with is taking that first step and, and taking a plunge into something and then just figuring it out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's kind of, it is nerve wracking to make a decision and to not know all the repercussions of it. And I think people, you know, really have to understand that every time you make a decision, you're going to break like five other parts of your practice. You know, you, your, your goal is to fix this one thing and you might have, but then you created all these other problems or, you know, anytime you grow, I mean, the systems that you have when you're one office or a small office versus multiple offices or a large office, you know, growth will break your systems just as easily as, as making a change. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. You have to be open-minded to it's okay that if you're wrong, you know, I, I think being stubborn, um, you know, Ben Burris, I remember I had uh, dinner with him one time and, and he had told me um, belief possession will be your, you know, the thing that keeps you from getting the practice of your dreams. And cause we were, I don't even remember what we were talking about. I just remember that line. And, and so I put it up there at MKS and I don't think people really grasp what an important line that is like belief possession, like, it's huge because we all think we're right. Every orthodontist has excelled in college, has excelled in dental school, and so we're right, of course. And so you develop these belief patterns that, you, and you possess them that, like, you're unwilling to to change it. And 
what was such a great learning experience for me, actually, I, I went and visited Neil Kravitz's practice a couple years ago, and I loved it. And so when I got back home, I emailed him, you know, thanks so much. This was just really great. And um, it was so amazing about that experience with him was I emailed him these things um, of just like things I thought could could help him. Um, and I told him, I was like, you know, I'm so much smaller than you used to take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, Neil does not have an ounce of belief possession because he emailed me back. He's like, hey, just want to thank you so much. I printed off that list. I'm getting it all done tomorrow. And it was like, what? <laughs> it was like, I mean... It was incredible, actually. And so, and you look at like some of the most successful people you know, they're probably the most agile people when it comes to, you know, making changes and, and making, um, improvements or any modifications. Because when you get stuck on something, it's really hard to grow from there. Yeah. And I think that goes along with, being open-minded to what other people say. And, and it seems like, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of people here that, uh, you know, you've worked with or that you've learned something from. Do you feel like learning from your colleagues or mentors has, has played a big role in, in kind of helping you achieve your goals? Oh, for sure. You know, you look at when you're a kid or even professional athletes, whatever, you have a coach. And, and the benefit of a coach, most of the time, you're better at doing whatever they're telling you to do, right? So professional baseball pitchers are better pitchers and can execute a pitch better than their pitching coach. But at the same time, you need someone to second guess you. You need someone to, to take that other set of eyes and look at you. And so, you know, our whole life we have, whether it be teachers, teachers or coaches or even parents really giving us guidance on different aspects of our life. And then you get into practice and then you're on this little island and, and then you develop that belief possession. You start developing this idea that everything you're doing is right because, you know, whatever income you're making, you know, it's going fine and, and you feel like you have a good practice and stuff like that. And you don't really have someone questioning, well, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing it that way? Why are you doing it this way? And so when you do have a, a group of mentors, it's really helpful because if you do have questions on something, or even if you're thinking you're doing it right, to have somebody who will question you or make suggestions and tell you you're wrong and make you think like, maybe I am, that's like invaluable. For me, it's been tremendous. And we have all the resources available to us. And that's a little bit what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast. You know, I always have this vision of someone who gets out of school and they go into their practice and it's almost like they're going into a bomb shelter. They're like in their own little world, like you say, on an island. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think when you look at people who are more successful or more knowledgeable, you can reach out to these people and, and connect with them. And, and I, that to me has just been, you know, one of the most rewarding parts about being an orthodontist. Yeah. And I think that the nice thing about, you know, these podcasts and, and, you know, Facebook groups like Ortho Exchange, um, you really get this, wonderful group of camaraderie where, you know, you feel like you're in it together, whether it be sharing your successes or sharing your failures or struggles or what have you. It really does help having a community of people. So, and it's funny because I view some of those people that I've maybe met in person twice in my life as some of my closest friends. And, yeah. uh, you know, even Mike Agenter, who I, I talked about 
you know, we're accountability partners, um, which is an interesting thing. Uh, Mike and I had only met once in person before we decided that that would be a good idea. And so what an accountability partner is, essentially having a colleague who you're completely open with. And I think that so many times when people are giving you advice or offering suggestions, you have to sometimes question, you know, do they have the experience to be able to offer you that suggestion or um, the, the, the knowledge to necessarily guide you in that way. And so having an accountability partner is really nice too because you can't lie. And so you can't embellish your practice statistics or anything like that. And so at the end of each quarter, I'll send Mike my, uh, you know, practice numbers, everything, you know, completely open book. And, um, and then it's that second set of eyes. He can kind of look through things and say, Hey, why'd you guys do this? And then I also will, you know, email him the plan for the next quarter or if there's something that I'm planning on doing. And then he's a good, he's another set of eyes that I really trust. And what's nice is he's, in a similar area, he's in Cincinnati, which is like two hours away. He has three practices, so he's got multi-locations, same kind of area. He's got one that's a rural practice, two that are suburban practices, which is a similar setup to mine. And so that's been just enormous to have somebody like that. And that I would encourage any orthodox, if they feel comfortable finding one person to be able to really open up and, and share all that kind of stuff, it's really, really helpful. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. We'll close with this, Jeff. You know, someone might listen to this podcast and say, wow, Jeff really seems like he's got it together. He's successful. He's got multiple practices. I'd love to be where he is in five or 10 years from now. What advice would you have for them? Maybe it's someone who's starting out just out of residency. Maybe it's someone who's in practice but wants to kind of take their practice to the next level. What would you say, you know, one or two words of advice for, for them? Sure. I think having a three-year plan is really important um, because it's important to understand how much money you need to save. It's important to understand how to set up your current situation so that in three years you can achieve that. And then at the same time, be willing to be flexible to change that plan because I was not expecting this fourth office, for example, for another year was, was my hope, but then it happened. And so it's a really good thing that we try to be pretty conservative with our money so that you have the, you know, en enough um, resources so the bank will, you know, have no problem giving you good rates and good loans and all that kind of stuff. So if you're young and starting out, planning is really important. Um, not rigid planning, but really trying to lay out a roadmap of where you want to be and what you think it'll take to get there. Um, because if you're just waiting for something to happen, it never really does. And, you know, luck happens to, to people who plan, I think. I find that the process of planning is really useful, even if it doesn't go according to my plan. Uh, just having thought through, you know, where I'm trying to go and, and what I, what my goals are in the future. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Great. Well, Jeff, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or have follow-up questions, uh, what's the best way? Facebook or? Facebook is great. Yeah. Facebook, yeah. friend me, um, shoot me a message on, on Facebook. Um, I'd be happy to share anything. So Lance, awesome. this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome, Jeff. Have a great night. You too. 
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I want to thank Jeff again for being on the podcast and for sharing with us uh, his experiences and his knowledge. I know I sure learned a lot. If you have any suggestions for future guests on the podcast, anyone who you think would be interesting to interview, please send me a message, let me know. Or if you yourself uh, would want to be on the podcast, if you've got something interesting or unique to share, uh, we'd love to have you on. Don't be shy or bashful. The purpose of the podcast is really to bring whatever information is inside your head out to our listeners and so that we can all learn and grow together. Hope you guys are doing well. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you back next time. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.